Next week, we're commemorating the 50-year anniversary of the end of the Vietnam War. I want to play for you an interview that I actually did with my father, a Vietnam veteran. Uh, We did it during the middle of the lockdown, Uh, but it's pertinent and I want to bring it to you today. So, here it is. Welcome to Shattered the Podcast. STP is the story of my journey from the depths of mental illness to a place where I could live again. Welcome back to Shattered the Podcast. I have on the line today a Vietnam veteran who happens to be my father. G'day, Dad. How's it going? Pretty good, even with the lockdown. Even with the lockdown. Now, you were a corporal attached to 17 Construction Workshop in Vietnam in 1967-68. You can fit it in December 67, December 68, 365 days, but who counted? <laughs> no, it's a, I've not heard of any of the Vietnam veterans who counted down their time overseas there. I thought you were having a great time. So, oh, yeah. so I want to talk about how we've got a situation in Afghanistan, how the war over there is winding down and there are distinct parallels to what happened in the Vietnam War and I want to just get your perspective from your service through to the end of the Vietnam War so 1967 December 1967 you land in Vietnam you spend as you said 365 days there was there a thought at the time that you were in a war that you were trying to win. And I mean that in the in the way of thinking the guys that went into World War II were thinking, okay, we've got a clear enemy, we know who to beat. What was your perception of what your country was doing in Vietnam? Well, we were not what you'd call indoctrinated. We were told why we were going. I had no reason to not believe the reasons we were there. Uh-huh. And immediately going there, we found out that locals were employed in our workshop to give jobs, to not just get them there labouring for us, but getting there doing jobs. And I got to know some locals. First, when I went there, it was the adventure of the, a lifetime, being a 19-year-old country boy, first trip overseas, and very, very quickly. It set in that th- this was not a joke, and mm-hmm. that, I'll tell you what, Change, well, well, that showed me it wasn't a, an adventure. Reality set in. I went into town one afternoon, about the second month I was there, and there's a young guy sitting in the street, uh, one leg missing, in what, what was left of his Vietnamese ranger uniform with a begging bowl in front of him. And suddenly I thought, he's my age. That could be me sitting there. Mm. And I thought... This is not an invention for him. This is real. This is, that's reality for him for the rest of his life. And I made up my mind in there, there and then that I don't care why the government sent us there. If I could help that kid or others becoming that kid, I felt that I was doing the right thing being there. Vietnam famously, there was no kind of real set end game apart from propping up the South Vietnamese government. Did you feel at the time that that was an achievable goal? Did you feel like you were over there contributing to success? I did because 
we spent a lot of time. We had the American airfield close to us, and my part of my job was uh, going to the airfield, and always there was a lot of combined, you'd call it coalition operations nowadays, because don't forget there were several nations in Vietnam yep. helping to defend the South, as it were, and the South Vietnamese uh, soldiers, to me, really impressed me. They looked determined, well-equipped, well-trained, well-disciplined. And I thought, if we can help them win, and the more I saw of them, I thought, they will win, because these guys were just the epitome of soldiering. Yeah. And uh, I thought we could help them do that and pull out when they were ready. Yeah. So comes 1972 and you hear that Australia is leaving Vietnam you are at this time a regular soldier uh, you weren't conscripted you joined the army as a volunteer and you made a life a career out of it so your perception in 1972 what did you see was happening at that stage when Australia pulled out did you think that the war had been lost were you thinking of it in those terms or were you more just thinking oh maybe we've done the job that we needed to do keep in mind that Australia deployed approximately six to six to eight thousand men each for 12 months mm -hmm. America had 273,000 men deployed yeah we were tasked with uh, policing one province Hug Thuy and the Australians um, infantry guys, armoured, the fighting corps guys, did a great job and they did suppress the activities of the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese to the extent that uh, Phuc Thuy was reasonably, reasonably peaceful. And I thought, okay, now is the time to hand that province back to the locals and let them defend it themselves. And I thought we'd achieved that. I wasn't filled with dread when I heard that Australia was coming home, mainly because every time you hear of a young serviceman dying, you think that's one more family mm. that this country's given up. We've given up in the First World War, the Second World War, go back a bit, the World War, War, Korean War. We're only a small nation. We've done our bit, but now let's let them defend themselves. And so, no, I didn't feel any concern as such when Australia was pulling out? 1972, you, Australia's pulled out. Australians are very comfortable with that. We feel like we did what we were expected to do. Then you've got 1973, 74, 75, and the news media is there in force. So you're getting almost nightly updates on how poorly things are going in Vietnam to the point where in 1975, Saigon fell. How was this time for you? Well, those nightly updates did quickly show me that my misconception of the South Vietnamese military fighting abilities wasn't what I thought it was because yeah. you could see streets leading out of Saigon where military uniforms were just discarded. Mm. That, to me, that as an Australian serviceman, that was almost inconceivable. And I, But I don't know the mind of a nation that's been at war with the Dutch, with the French, with the Americans, all that time at war. You cannot 
judge them and say they were cowards. They're more realists to me. There's an overwhelming army coming against you. You know local support. They couldn't count on local support because they lost faith in their own government in South Vietnam. Yeah. And hindsight shows how corrupt they were. Yeah. But it was disappointing to see how they'd given up without a giant big brother standing behind them. Yeah. And I felt dread. I thought, I, I hope when the communists do come in, there's not mass slaughter. I didn't think there would be, but uh, I thought the Vietnamese people themselves, they're a strong, strong nation. Their military let them down, but the people themselves, I thought they would stand. Well, they went on to win a war against China, if you can believe that. it's um, The postscript was one of a nation triumphing over unbelievable obstacles. Did you happen to know personally any of the diggers that didn't come home? No, no. We, we had a, one craftsman injured when he was up on the land clearing team and the, the D9 Caterpillar dozer who was on the driver operator, I should say. Yeah. He hit a provision a landmine and he bailed, bailed ship. One of our craftsmen saw it. He was up there driving a servicing truck. Well, he leapt onto a burning, moving bulldozer and shut it down. And uh, he got injured. Mm -hmm. But that's the closest I came to knowing any injured or... Yeah. Why I ask that is... We have a very, very unique perspective on the fall of Afghanistan because your son, my brother, a veteran of over there who has come back with PTSD, he's finding it extremely hard at the moment. I never really understood how close he felt to one of the soldiers that was killed, and I don't want to name that person because I don't want to embarrass Mike or his fam the family of the digger that was killed but mike had to clean the gear of a digger that had been killed in combat and he did it with a with respect and dignity and when another soldier was flippant in the room an officer actually mike who was a corporal told the guy to get out said get out this is not the place for that sort of thing so for Mike, his perspective is, is intensely personal and he's very willing to see that everything that he did was wasted. Now, I know you've got thoughts about his time in, in Afghanistan and I want to ask you about that, but when Saigon fell, did you feel like you'd lost a year of your life that could have been better spent you were away from your family, you were away from your fiancé. Did you feel at all that the time that you had spent in Vietnam was a waste? No, I didn't. Earlier I said I got to know personally some of the locals and there was one domestic lady in our unit, the same age as my mum. Hmm. I jokingly did call her mum once in, in Vietnamese. I can't remember what that, Mama San, I think it was. And she joked. She said to me, when I was there, oh, I did ask you, what do you think of us being here in your country? And she said, well, as a young girl, 13 or 14, when um, the communists were 
coming to power in North Vietnam in Hanoi, her father, a Catholic man, a Catholic family, decided they wouldn't live under the communists. This was an intelligent man. He knew what the communist view of Christianity was. So he literally packed up the family, couldn't take anything with them, literally what they carried in a cart, and trekked all the way down from Hanoi to Saigon. Hmm. I thought, what a brave man, what a brave family to do that. They were fortunate. They were able to, they got some names of towns and where you could find a, a priest to get the name of some families. So, well, they were semi supported all the way. But she said, we don't want to live under the, the communist rule. We like our freedom. And that, that's all I could think of when Saigon fell was her. That she's lived through, you know, one country, her, well, she was North Vietnamese, being taken over. She comes to South Vietnam for freedom and have that taken over. But the strength of that lady, I thought, no, I don't need to worry about her. Um, she would have possibly been in, interrogated by the officials after the fall. But as a domestic staff, you know, she, she was a cleaner, probably suffered a month of interrogation or something, but I had no dread for her. Her reassurance that we were there to help them was the thing that I remembered. And no, I did not feel my our time there was wasted at all. Do you think that it would be fair to say that it's better to have been there for a short time to teach, to build up, to show what freedom looks like is better than not having gone at all? Yes, most definitely. Vietnam became the American war and it, they fall into this trap again and again. I think they, I'm not sure they go with the right intention. I've since studied a lot on the war in Vietnam and uh, my reasons for being there have changed with a bit of enlightenment. I guess you can look at the reasons that politicians have. And I think about this with Afghanistan, and I've thought about this a lot. And the thing is, Mike went there with mentoring teams. The first time he was there, all he did was work with Afghan civilians, skilling them up. He talked about the incredible bag of tools that they handed over to these potential craftsmen at the end of their time. And he also talks about the wounded kids that were there. I will not put words in the mouth of any veteran because I was not there and I do not have that right. But I wonder how much better, say, that that little girl that, that Mike saw that had been blown up and she, he saw her at the, at the um, hospital and he just broke down, how much better it was for her for her to be around caring people like my brother, like most Australian veterans. I hope that the fact that they were there is infinitely better than if they weren't there. I totally agree. I totally agree. In this mentoring team, that concept, whoever dreamed it up, was very, very wise. Because I did see the toolkits they were sending to the young tradies that... Uh, now, it wasn't a full tradesman's course. They were something like three to four months training. But they were given basic plumbing, carpeting, even electrical skills. They mm. could wire a house probably safely, build a house, build a school. 
that to me was brilliant. We didn't have the same sort of task in South Vietnam. It, it was, I think, to defend the population, but to restrict the movement and the provisioning of the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese Army. Yeah. So I believed in the coalition cause in Afghanistan. And as you say, we had first-hand experience with your son and brother, Mike, going there four times. And first-hand experience there, explaining it to us and what, what they were doing. To me, it was absolutely brilliant. The problem was the length of stay. We stayed because America stayed. America achieved its aim when it, it defeated Al-Qaeda. In hindsight, it's a wonderful thing, but why didn't they leave soon after that? That is the problem, is the length of stay. So you, you, your question, whether it had been better to come in for a short while, sure, as I said, hindsight shows if we'd have pulled out early. It's an open-ended question as in, yeah, how long's a piece of string? Well, and we can't tell what's going to happen in Afghanistan after this. You've got a no, bunch of you've got a bunch of educated men and women now that are skilled up, that are qualified to work for their own betterment. And will they rise up against the Taliban? Will they assimilate and try and make the Taliban less? Fanatical. I mean, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen, and we are speaking very close to it. But for any Afghan veteran out there, or, or Iraq, or any of the troops that deployed to the Middle East, I'm devastated at this thought that they think that their time was wasted, that their sacrifice, that their the the blokes that died, the men and women that have come back with PTSD was all a waste. I'm just horrified that they would feel like that. Yeah, I am too. How can you tell a young veteran that his intention was going there was sound? What he achieved there was remarkable because they don't think that during their time there. Their effect there can only be measured over time. And I, I think you take a young guy like Mike in a mentoring role where you can see the number of schools built, hospitals built or rebuilt, to see the local children going to school freely without terror of reprisals. What they did, I believe, over their time there was improve literally everything, their way of life. You can't stand there with a big stick forever, but they started, I think, to have a little bit of faith in their own army of protecting him because where Afghan army was disciplined and trained enough, the Americans left them to monitor police and area. And so I, I think these young guys and girls gave a period of relative peace to the Afghanis, providing them with a reasonable amount of stability. And as I said to you, not in this interview, but the Afghan people, proud, strong people. They've had this period of reasonable stability, a time of education for both young men and young women. I think they will hold on to that and want it to, to remain. So whether in time, five years, 10 years, they start to demand these 
freedoms that they've experienced. And it's all, all beat to the credit of these young men and women who went there. Yeah. I think of young Afghani women who are going to marry and they're going to have the ear of their husbands where they're able to say, hang on, no, I remember what it's like to be able to go to school. Yeah. Why are we not letting our girls go to school? Uh, yeah. It's yeah. it's easier to not let a person have rights than to take away rights from somebody that's already had them. Somebody that's lived free knows what freedom is and will petition harder to maintain yeah. or regain that freedom. I agree. Earlier in the interview, you were talking about the impact of the Vietnam War, but you said a couple of years later there was something that affected you. Remaining in the service, they expect any NCO to further his career by attaining the next promotion, and to do that you need to do what they call subjects. And uh, there's four subjects, one, two, three, and four. includes everything from military law to how you're called. Well, one of the toughest ones is your subject one, for Corporal Sergeant Warrant Officer. And you, all corps come together. There's about 80 guys on every course. And it's very much regimental, field craft work. Well, mate, I'm, I was a tradie. I, I, can, I was very good at my job, but come regimental and come field craft, I just got by. Well, in my section, there was a, an infantry corporal, wonderful guy. He was the epitome of a, a soldier, head to toe. Brilliantly dressed, uniform, uh, pressed uniform, immaculate. But he had trouble with the theory side of field navigation. Very simple triangular calculations. Well, he was passing the course in everything regimental except for this. And he was told to come and see the boffins. Well, he was a radio <laughs> technician. But I got talking to this guy and uh, helped him instantly. Um, gave him a simple way of calculating. I was just sitting in my room, just talking. And... Um, he had, a, he had a few tennis cans with him and he got to talking and just talking about his life in the service, his life in Vietnam. And he just said, Kev, you guys are fortunate. You get out of the army, you've got a trade, you can go walk straight out, high pay. He said, what can I do? I'm a qualified section leader. And then he stopped at that and said, not a very good one at that. I said, Norm, you, you're kidding. You'll top this course. You'll duck to the course. And he said, yeah, but Vietnam, I lost two guys. It suddenly brought home to me that Vietnam, Afghanistan, to the fighting corps, cause, this was their job. Mine was to fix radios. This guy had carried with him the burden of losing two guys in Vietnam. Now, it wasn't his fault. But he is like a father figure to these young guys. He's probably a, probably 22, 23 year old a bit, whereas most kids with him are 18. But he carried the burden of losing these two men. And it brought home to me just what these young men and now young women go or give up to go and serve this country, this government of this country, in helping other governments or the people of other governments in other countries. It, it changed my outlook on every time they announce sending servicemen to another country on anything, peacekeeping, whatever, it's a struggle within me. What do they achieve? Are we, we sending these young men and women into harm's way? Because in some cases, these useless, corrupt politicians can't sort out their problems 
without the resorting to force. It's made me a little bit bitter and twisted with the government of the day, but never bitter and twisted with as far as regard to the people that we go to help. I still think of that young guy. We were, I was a whole 20, I think at the time I was about 27, 28 year old. And he'd aged, we're the same age, but he looked probably 10 years older. He'd carried the burden of the guilt of losing two men. And uh, it changed my idea of what war is about for these young men and women. Yeah. I want to give you the last word because I want to give you the opportunity to say to a veteran of Afghanistan who has struggled when they came back and may be looking at their time as a waste. But before I do that, I want to just put a thought out there. And I don't know if this thought is true. I don't know if this is, is accurate or if it's disrespectful. I don't mean it to be. But the Australian and coalition forces spent 20 years equipping, training, helping the Afghan people. And I look at these thousands of people at the airports and I understand there's fathers and mothers there that are trying to protect their children. But it's like that old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. It's like you can lead a soldier to battle, but you can't make him fight. And I don't know why so many Afghans chose not to resist. And I don't understand that. But I don't think you can blame the people that trained them for them not making that final decision to fight at the end there. It's not the it's not the fault of the person that that led the person and gave them what they were asking for. It's not their fault that the people then chose not to rise up or fight or whatever. I agree. I agree. A young man or young woman who may be listening to this obeyed their government's call to go and do this to help the people of Afghanistan. Now, I totally believe that they did their job. They did it well. They, the young guys, girls that built schools, they didn't do a half-shod job thinking, oh, this will do. They did it their best. They provided the people with tools to help themselves. The young guys and girls that trained the Afghan army, I believe they did their very best. As you said, you you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. These young guys passed on their knowledge of warfare, of use of care, care and use of weapons, and how to use them properly to achieve victory for themselves. How can you blame yourself where your training and your expertise handed over the best way you could not be used or employed the way that you tra- way you train somebody? If you trained a young electrician in, to build a school to wire a house and he electrocutes somebody, if you've trained him to the best of your ability and he has passed the test that they have to sit to get these qualifications, that's not your fault. If you train a young man to use a weapon, to use your own people to help protect a village and they fail to do that, how can you say that that's your fault? You did your best, you achieved what you went over there to do and it was your right to leave them, to defend themselves and to come home. 
you cannot take any of that blame. I know this nation is proud of you. I am. Don't blame yourself. Warren Officer Kevin Brosnan, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your words. And there's nothing I can add to that. Thanks, Dad. Pleasure. Pleasure, mate. Hey, thanks for joining us on Shattered the Podcast. I'm Mark. Special thanks to my producer, Meredith Brosnan, and also to Torian, Kevin, and Lorraine. And we can't forget the amazing band Adelaide who let us use their song as our theme. For more information, check us out on all your socials, STP Shattered the Podcast.